This afternoon comes from several places in Scripture, uh, beginning in Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. All of these uh, Scripture readings are in connection with the Lord's Day that we'll be looking at, Lord's Day 20, that deals with the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So all these scripture readings will be concerning this topic. Uh, Numbers 11, beginning in verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went went about and gathered it, and ground it in hand mills, or beat it in mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a nursing child, to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the, of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You you shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among among who I am number six hundred thousand on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told, all the, told the people the words of the Lord. 
And he gathered seventy men of the elders of, of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. We'll stop there. Uh, Let's turn now to the uh, prophets, to the prophet Joel, one of the later prophets. Uh, Joel chapter 2, we'll read verses 18 through 32. The context for this prophecy is after uh, prophecies declaring that Israel would be taken off to exile and that the land would be invaded. And the Lord is calling his people back to himself. Uh, Joel chapter 2 verses 18 through 32. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things." Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Israel, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame." And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. 
Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So far from Joel, let's also finally now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 27, and we'll read through chapter 13, verse 13. First Corinthians 12:27. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 51, stanzas 3 and 4. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of faith of this church, and a summary of Christian doctrine. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 20. That's on page 534 of your books of praise, if you wish to follow along. Lord's Day 20, there the question is, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me, 
and to remain with me forever. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as you've certainly observed over the last many weeks, uh, a long, long portion of the Apostles' Creed is devoted to the person and the work of Jesus, the Christ, uh, describing all the, first who He is and, and His titles, and then also all the things that He has done. Uh, then the Apostles' Creed has one very short line devoted to the Holy Spirit. Now, this has, has led some people to claim that uh, the Holy Spirit was really not all that important to the Reformers, uh, to, to those who wrote the Catechism, to our fathers in, in the Reformed and Christian faith, uh, or that, that He has not been regarded as, as a significant member of the Trinity. That conclusion would be very wrong. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is mentioned last, and yes, the line, uh, the article of the Creed devoted to the Spirit is a very short line, uh, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit is regarded as not important in, in our salvation. Uh, in fact, the very first words of the Creed speak of the Spirit. The words, I believe. Where do those words come from? Well, that faith is given by the Spirit. Uh, they are acknowledgement of the work of the Spirit. I believe by the power of the Spirit. My faith is the evidence of the Spirit. Uh, you, you could also point out, as, as some have pointed out, not only is the Spirit implied throughout the Creed, the Spirit is also even explicitly mentioned earlier in the Apostles' Creed, uh, in the conception of the Lord Jesus, in the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, so, for the work of Christ, uh, on which the Creed does spend a great deal of attention, for that work to be even possible, the Creed also acknowledges the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Spirit is behind everything that Christ did. Uh, this is true, in fact, of, of everything uh, that the Creed says about the work of Christ. Not only was He conceived uh, by the Spirit, uh, He was also anointed with the Spirit uh, for His work. We see this in, in, in the Lord Jesus' baptism as the Spirit descends upon Jesus, anointing Him for His work. Uh, the Lord Jesus also says in, in Luke, 14, or Luke 4, verse 17, He quotes the, the prophet Isaiah and says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So where the Catechism spends a great deal of attention on, on, on Jesus' anointing, there the Catechism explains He was anointed with the Holy Spirit for all the work that He did. Uh, not only was He anointed, he, he suffered according to the strength supplied to Him by the Spirit. Uh, and, and look at Jesus' last earthly words. His very last words on the cross were, Father, into Your hand I commit My Spirit. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, in fact, if you continue even after his death, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, he went in his spirit uh, to the realm of the dead to proclaim his victory over those who had rebelled against him in the days of Noah. Uh, then Paul tells us as well for the Jesus' resurrection uh, in Romans 8, it was the Spirit of God 
who raised him from the dead. Uh, So the the scriptures themselves show the Spirit is at work at every stage in Jesus' ministry. All the attention the creed gives to Jesus, it gives by implication to the Spirit as well. Uh, So if if one says, well, the Apostles' Creed devotes so little attention to the Spirit, it's certainly not because the Spirit is seen as as unimportant, uh, but because He is presumed to be behind everything else that the Creed says. Uh, That brings us uh, to the question then, who or what is the Holy Spirit? Uh, How are we to think of Him, and why is the Spirit so important? That's the the question that we want to uh, examine this afternoon Uh, The first thing that should be said right from the outset is the Spirit is a person of the Trinity, a person together with the Father and and the Son. Now, that might be obvious to you. You say, yeah, there's the Trinity, uh, the the Trinitarian formula. You see it in in baptism, for example, the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and, we, and we've seen uh, abundantly when we've looked at the Father and the Son that they are distinct persons, not just modes of God, not just different aspects of God, but unique persons who love one another, who, who, who serve and bless one another, who speak to one another. Uh, so also, uh, the Spirit is a person. Uh, you you, and just so you know, there are other formulas as well that, that contain the Father, Son, and Spirit alongside one another. Uh, some of the New Testament letters close with that kind of uh, construction. Uh, for example, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all, says, says Paul in, in one of his letters. Uh, So here too, not only are the three members held in parallel to one another, but even more, personal things are said of each one. The the grace of the Father. It is is persons who show grace. A force, as as some claim the Spirit is, a force does not show grace. Uh, uh, The the grace of, of, or excuse me, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and, and then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is something that is said of persons, not forces. Uh, this is also confirmed, if, if, we can, if you'll permit me to, to step into the Greek for a moment, uh, this is confirmed very clearly in the Greek language itself. Uh, Greek, like many languages, has gendered nouns, uh, male or masculine nouns, feminine nouns, and neuter nouns, uh, kind of like we have in English our pronouns, he, she, and it, uh, masculine, feminine, and, and neuter. Uh, and and in, in Greek, if you're referring to something that, that uses a feminine noun, you also use a feminine pronoun. For example, a house is, is a feminine uh, word in, in the Greek. So if you were saying, like we do in English, I, I uh, found a house and bought it, we use the, the neuter it. Uh, but in Greek, you would say, I found a house and bought her. Uh, it's, that's the way the, the, the grammar works. Uh, but there's, there's a very clear distinction when it comes to the spirit. The spirit, the word spirit in Greek is a neuter noun. But when the, when the Greek speaks of the spirit, it always says not it, but he. 
Uh, it uses a personal pronoun. So the, 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 the very grammar of the Greek, uh, something that was lost in subsequent ages as the church uh, in the West moved to Latin, uh, and, and as a result of that often downplayed the personhood of the Spirit, uh, the grammar of the Greek itself shows he is a person. We refer to the Spirit as him, not it. Uh, we hear this sometimes. I often hear it among catechism students, too, that they talk about the Spirit as, as an it, uh, which implies the Spirit is a force or a power, but not a person. Well, Scripture teaches the Spirit is a, a person. Uh, now, as I mentioned, in the early days of Christianity, and even still today, uh, there are many groups that fail to get that, that continue to treat the Spirit as an impersonal force or some sort of extension of, of God, uh, which is contradicted by, by not only the grammar, but also by the very things that Scripture says about the Spirit. Uh, very personal things are said of the Spirit that you cannot say of a power or a force or, or some kind of mysterious presence. Uh, for example, Jesus says in John 14, uh, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you. A helper is a person, not just a, a force. A helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him. You see the, the Him personal pronoun again. Uh, you know Him, Jesus goes on to say, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You don't speak that way about some sort of impersonal force. Uh, even if, uh, like, we sometimes say, you know, my spirit will be with you. Like, I can't be there at the party, but I'll be with you in spirit. Uh, we, we sometimes say things like that. But you would, you would certainly, uh, uh, you would not say something like, my spirit, he shall be with you at the party. That, that we don't talk that way, because my spirit is not a distinct person. Uh, when God speaks of his spirit, it is as a distinct person person. Uh, uh, Likewise, we don't give personal titles to our spirit, uh, uh, the helper, my spirit. Uh, We don't don't talk that way, uh, but God does. Uh, The spirit is the helper. The spirit is the comforter. Uh, So that's the first point we want to acknowledge from the outset. There are many groups of of, of Christians that fail to even see the personhood of the Holy Spirit, that treat him as merely an extension of the Father. Uh, No, he is a person of the Trinity. And that means he is, like the Father and Son, true and eternal God. Uh, And what we learn from the beginning, uh, from from Scripture, from beginning to end, is the Spirit is behind and under all that God does. The Spirit was there in creation. Uh, You you hear of Him in Genesis chapter 1. The the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, From creation to redemption out of Egypt to uh, the, the ordination of the prophets and the kings and the priests, the Spirit was present all the way to the coming of Christ, as our Apostles' Creed acknowledges in the conception of Christ by the Spirit. Now, here's where an interesting question comes up that that many uh, believers struggle with is, did believers in the Old Testament have the Spirit? Uh, this is uh, something that there's, there's debate over. Uh, did, did, did the Old Testament saints have the Spirit as we do? If, if not, the question is asked, how did they have faith? And if so, 
Well, then what happened at Pentecost that wasn't already there before? Uh, Was the Spirit at work? Well, on one simple level, the answer has to be yes. The Spirit was at work because uh, faith, which the Old Testament saints had, comes by the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit has always been with and among believers throughout history, from the very days of Adam onward. Uh, In fact, you can say the Spirit was present uh, even beyond the, the pale of believers. The Spirit is present in a very general way, among all of God's creation. Uh, The Spirit is is, uh, the one who sustains us even to live, even to take our our next breath. Uh, The Spirit is is at work there. Uh, The creation story in Genesis 2 records how God breathed His Spirit into Adam, uh, creating, uh, making him a living creature. Likewise, we sang earlier from Psalm 104 that says, All creatures look to you when you take away their breath. uh, That's the same word in Hebrew for spirit. They die. And then when you send forth your spirit, they are created again and you renew the face of the ground. Uh, To to live, uh, we need the spirit. God sustains the universe by his spirit. Uh, As we look at the Old Testament, we can also say in a more uh, uh, unique way, God would often give His Spirit in in special measure to certain individuals for certain tasks. We saw that in Numbers chapter 11, how God gave His Spirit uh, to the elders of Israel in a special way that, that the rest of the people did not have. Now, you can see many examples of this in Scripture. Uh, One interesting one is in Exodus 31. uh, God tells Moses to seek out certain craftsmen, people skilled in in woodworking and metalworking. Uh, And and he mentions one craftsman in particular, Bezalel, the son of Uri, uh, who is called to, to build the tabernacle. And God says of him, a craftsman, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Uh, So the Spirit gives wisdom and ability as well as skill in one's daily work. This, too, is a gift of the Spirit. Uh, Likewise, then, we saw in Numbers 11 how God set apart the 70 elders of Israel uh, to assist Moses in his his leadership. And and he tells them, uh, I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with you. Uh, Likewise, uh, later on in Numbers 27, uh, when, when Joshua is appointed as Moses' successor, uh, there again, God says, Take Joshua, the son of man, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Uh, so we see uh, another way the Spirit was at work in, in filling particular individuals with gifts, with abilities, uh, sometimes with skills, sometimes with wisdom uh, or abilities. Uh, Sometimes the, the Lord also, the Spirit also filled people with, uh, to, to equip them for what we would call miraculous work. Uh, we think of Samson in, in the book of Judges, uh, where, where the Spirit of God gave Samson strength. Uh, it, the, the, the phrasing in, in that chapter is, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Uh, to cite one verse, uh, the Spirit of God fills him with some miraculous power. Uh, we see something similar with David, in fact, 
when David was playing uh, the harp for, for Saul, the Spirit of God would come upon David, giving him this special ability. Uh, we also see the Spirit of God working in, in the prophets, giving them prophecy. Uh, that's a very unique work of, of the Holy Spirit, giving revelation uh, and wisdom to speak the very words of God. Uh, so so here, here we have uh, several general ways the Spirit is at work in, in sustaining all creation and then in equipping certain people with certain uh, abilities uh, and giving them wisdom, strength, ability, power uh, to carry out their, their special callings. We can also talk about one more general way the Spirit worked in the lives of believers, giving faith, wisdom, and the fear of God. All of these in the Old Testament as well are are credited as the Spirit's work. Faith, New Testament and Old, is a gift of the Spirit. One cannot believe but by the Spirit. Uh, the Lord Jesus, when he's talking to, to Nicodemus, makes this very point. Uh, you are a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things, uh, that one must be born of water and the Spirit. Uh, this is not just a New Testament reality, but an Old Testament truth as well. Uh, yet, e- even all of that said, so clearly the Spirit was present in the lives of believers, yet the even in the Old Testament, they looked forward to a time when the Spirit would be at work in a unique way that the Spirit then was not. Uh, for that reason, we read Joel chapter 2, uh, where, where Joel says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Uh, clearly, that prophecy uh, speaks of a time where something would change, something would be different. The Spirit would be at work in a way that He wasn't in the Old Testament. Uh, now, that, that prophecy is, is quoted in Acts 2 by, by Peter on the day of Pentecost, uh, clearly making the point that this is the day. Pentecost is the day when God fulfilled that prophecy. And now that, that often leads people to look back and say, well, then the Spirit must not have been there uh, before. Uh, but th- we've seen that that cannot be the case. What Joel is talking about then is a difference of degree and a difference of scale. A difference of degree and scale. Uh, in, the old te- in the Old Covenant, the Spirit, yes, worked in the hearts of believers, uh, but to a limited degree and on a limited scale. Uh, to a limited degree, because they only knew God in part through shadows and ceremonies. They don't have the same full knowledge that believers today have after the coming uh, of Christ. Uh, and not just to a limited degree, but to a limited scale, because true believers in the Old Testament were few and far between. There were not that many. Uh, So when Joel looks forward, uh, the emphasis in Joel is particularly the scale of the outpouring of the Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, even on the male and female servants. I will pour out my Spirit. The Old Testament looks forward to an age when the Spirit would would not just be limited to a few individuals or or a small gathering of believers, but would be poured out on all the nations. A difference of scale. Uh, 
So, did the believers in the Old Testament have the Spirit? Yes, but to a limited degree and on a limited scale. Uh, there clearly were believers who experienced the power and presence of the Spirit. And we saw this in, in Psalm 51 as well, where David says, Take not your Spirit from me. Uh, he acknowledges he had uh, the, the Spirit. Uh, we, we see this as well before Pentecost when, when P- Jesus is speaking to Peter in Matthew, uh, uh, six, Matthew 18, uh, where, no, 16, where he says, uh, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Well, where is that coming from? From the Spirit. The Spirit gives uh, belief. Uh, but Christ's promise, too, to the disciples is that the Spirit would come in an unprecedented way, to an unprecedented degree and on, a, on an unprecedented scale. Uh, the, the Spirit would come filling them with a power they had not known and would come to a much wider people than they had ever seen before. And that's, that's what took place on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at first, empowering them with a, a supernatural wisdom uh, that was shown even in their, in their speaking in tongues, uh, their, their knowledge of God's revelation, the, their speaking uh, f- the very words of God uh, to the nations. Uh, some are prophesying, and, and we see in the book of Acts, some are receiving gifts of healing and, and other miracles. So an unprecedented degree, but also an unprecedented scale. Uh, In the very first days of Pentecost, 3,000 people are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's an unprecedented scale. Uh, Now, concerning the the spiritual gifts as such, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, healings, uh, other other, uh, prophecies and other miracles, uh, we're going to devote a separate sermon to to that topic. It's a very important topic in in our uh, day and age, Uh, so we'll do that in in a couple of weeks, uh, Lord willing. Uh, But it is clear that when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, that pouring out was accompanied by and evidenced by the, the arrival of all of these miraculous gifts. Uh, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, those gifts had a special function for that day, uh, particularly for the missionaries preaching uh, the gospel in, in that age. Uh, but here's, here's the important point I want to drive home. Even in that age, where they had uh, gifts of tongues and miracles and healings uh, and prophecies, even in that age, it was very clear that there were greater gifts that the Spirit gave than merely those things. That there was a more important work than simply to equip believers with these gifts. Uh, By far, the vast majority of the biblical references to the Holy Spirit have nothing to do with those particular gifts, but have everything to do with the Spirit's work in the hearts of ordinary believers. Uh, And that's where we want to focus uh, for the remainder of of this sermon. What is the work of the Spirit in the hearts of ordinary believers? Uh, Paul says it very strongly in in 1 Corinthians 12 as he talks about all these miraculous gifts. And he closes that with the saying, Seek earnestly the higher gifts, the greater gifts. And those higher gifts are not miracles. They're not speaking in tongues or healings. The higher gifts, he makes clear, are faith, hope, and love. 
That's the Spirit's primary task, primary work. Uh, So uh, the New Testament has much to say about the work of the Spirit and drives our focus to what the Spirit does in the hearts of ordinary believers. Uh, We can mention three things in, in particular. In the first place, the Spirit directs our hearts to the Word of Christ. If you look at the references to the Spirit in in the New Testament, so many of them connect the Word of Christ to the Spirit of Christ. Uh, Christ's promise, in fact, in John 14, was that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and bring to remembrance, he says, all that I have said to you. It's the Word of Christ. The Spirit directs us to the Word Uh, it's sad and and surprising that a dichotomy is often drawn in in contemporary Christianity between uh, spirit Christians and word Christians, as if those two things were were opposites. Uh, And and oftentimes it's it's drawn that way as if real spirit-filled Christians don't need the word. Well, the spirit's primary task is to bring us to the Word. Uh, that's, that's what Scripture teaches. The Spirit uses the Word. The Spirit directs us to the Word. The Spirit works by the Word of Christ. Uh, give another example. Acts 16. Uh, when you read about the conversion of, of Lydia, this, this seller of purple goods, uh, it says there that the Lord opened her heart. Now, who did that? Of course, the, the Spirit opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Spirit and the Word. Now, the Spirit directs us to the Word and opens our heart to understand the Word and then to believe the Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit instills faith by the preaching of the Word. Paul says in, in, in Romans uh, 8, uh, How shall they believe, or excuse me, Romans uh, 9, How shall they believe unless there is a preacher? Uh, with, with no Word, there is no belief. In spite of the fact the Spirit is there. Why? Because the Spirit uses the Word. Uh, One of the places you see this uh, vividly as well is in in Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, We've worked our way through Colossians not that long ago. And Ephesians and Colossians are parallel letters. Uh, They they have basically the same structure. Paul wrote them about the same time to two separate churches following the same basic outline. Uh, So uh, when you're studying the one, it can often be helpful to refer to the other and and see how does Paul say it uh, to to the Colossians or, or to the Ephesians. Uh, One of those parallel passages is this one. In in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, if you want to dig into that, what does Paul mean by that? Be filled with the Spirit. You might check the parallel in Colossians. What does Paul say to the Colossians? Colossians 3, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, So, how do you obey Paul's command of be filled with the Spirit? 
by getting into the Word, uh, by letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, That is, by by spending time in the Word, by singing the Word, hence the, the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, by memorizing the Word and carrying the Word with you on your mind and in your heart. Uh, the Spirit works through the Word. Uh, Christians that neglect the Word are neglecting the Spirit as well because the Spirit directs them to the Word. Uh, so also in the Catechism's description of, of what's the work of the Spirit, uh, it says, He is given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all His benefits, uh, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Now, how does the Spirit do any of that. How does the Spirit make us share in Christ? By leading us to the Word, uh, where, by, by which He instills our faith. Uh, so that's the first thing we want to recognize. The, the Spirit directs us to the Word. In the second place, the Holy Spirit, through the Word, gives us new life. Uh, perhaps the most frequent uh, references to the Spirit are in connection with the life that the Spirit gives us. Uh, Again, going back to Lydia, uh, where it says the Lord opened her heart to understand what was said by Paul. Uh, In in, in that very process, the Spirit gave Lydia new life. Uh, A Christian is a new person by the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that Paul uh, describes who, who puts to death the old man, and brings to life the new man. That's the work of, of the Spirit. Uh, it's the Spirit who restores, uh, indeed, every part of our being, our bodies, our minds, and, and our will. Uh, even our, in, Yes, our bodies. Uh, the body that is fallen and enslaved to sin, impulses, instincts, habits that are ingrained in our body are put to death by the work of the Spirit in us. Uh, likewise, the mind, the mind that is fallen and, and empty and hostile to God is made new uh, to see, to understand what it could not see or understand before. Uh, Paul says to the Romans in Romans 12, uh, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, how are our minds renewed? by the power of the Spirit through the engagement with the Word. Uh, The Spirit also brings to life our will, that is, our our desires. It gives us new desires uh, to to no longer be a slave to sin, uh, but to desire righteousness and, and to pursue it. This, too, is a gift of the Spirit. Uh, so so what, what the New Testament shows us is the Spirit in our body, our mind, and our will makes us into a new person. Uh, we are a new creation in Christ. Uh, the things we once loved, we no longer love. The things we once did, we no longer desire to do. And the things that we once, as unbelievers, despised, have now become precious to us and dear to us. And the God, the God whom we once feared and hated, we now love as our Heavenly Father. How does that happen? It happens by the Spirit. Uh, uh, and, and here too, the, the Spirit does this through the Word. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter says this very strongly in his uh, first letter, in First Peter chapter 1. Uh, he says, you've been born again. Now we know That's the work of the Spirit. But he says, you've been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. 
Uh, the Spirit uses the Word to create us into new people. Uh, Peter also speaks of the, the imperishable seed that's been planted in us, which he identifies as well as the Word of, of God. The Spirit takes the Word, plants it deep within us, uh, such that it takes root and comes to life. Uh, the result of that is also then, by the Spirit, our outward life, if our inward life is changed, our outward life is also changed. Uh, Paul speaks of this as keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, Our lives are changed. Sin is put to death. The the fruit of righteousness, which Paul identifies as the fruit of the Spirit, uh, begins to take shape. Uh, Galatians 5.22, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The outward life that is transformed by the inward creation of a new heart. As the Holy Spirit then gives us new hearts leading to new lives. And again, He does this through the Word of Christ. Uh, and, And finally, in the third place, the Holy Spirit also unites us to Christ. Uh, so he, he directs us to the Word, uh, He gives us new life, and He directs us to Christ. Uh, but right before Jesus ascended, as He stood on, on the mountain with His disciples, He promised them, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Well, how is Christ with us? He's with us by His Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is, is the one who unites us to Christ so that He remains with us forever. Uh, Because the the Spirit proceeds from the Father and uh, the Son, uh, we may rightly say that wherever the Spirit is, there the Father is, and there Christ also is. Uh, This is why in in some places the Apostle Paul even even blurs the distinctions between the Spirit uh, and, and Christ Himself. Not because He doesn't see a distinction, but because so closely is Christ united to the Spirit that Paul can say uh, in one place, the Spirit is Christ. The Spirit is Christ. Where the Spirit is, there Christ also is. Uh, uh, The Spirit is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the Father. Uh, This is why in in our uh, version of the Nicene Creed, uh, we together with the rest of the church uh, in the West, including uh, Roman Catholics and other uh, branches of Western Christianity, we confess uh, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In in the East, uh, that, that is rejected, that the Spirit only proceeds from the Father. But we say, no, He's not just the Spirit of the Father, He is the Spirit of Christ, as Paul also teaches us. And it's precisely because of that that he unites us to Christ. He doesn't do something in us that's distinct from Christ, that's apart from Christ. Everything he does in us is through Christ and because of Christ. Uh, So it's the Spirit who holds us together with Christ such that Christ's death is also our death, such that Christ's resurrection will also be our resurrection. The Spirit makes us one with Christ because He dwells within us and and connects us to to Christ. So through the Spirit, we have a, a living and abiding communion and fellowship with Christ Himself. As a result of that, that also means that we as Christians have communion and fellowship with one another. If the Spirit unites me to Christ, and the Spirit unites you to Christ, 
then the Spirit also unites the two of us uh, together uh, and unites all of us as a church. Uh, Paul says uh, this explicitly in Ephesians 4, verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. What Paul is describing there is the church, united in one Spirit. And that's where the catechism is also now uh, going to go. We're going to spend some time looking at what is the church. Uh, and, and this is the, the, the first principle. The church is the communion, the fellowship of those who are united by the one Spirit of Christ. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, uh, know the whole. Uh, no, excuse me. Know that the, the church and the, the apostles' creed do not regard the spirit as less important uh, among the members of the Trinity, but on the contrary, confesses all that we believe in the whole creed and all that we have in Christ is given to us through the Spirit. Without the Spirit, there could be no Apostles' Creed. There could be no gospel message and there could certainly be no hope of eternal life. Uh, So we as Christians rejoice in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit and praise the Spirit as eternal God together with the Father and the Son who is worthy of our worship. Amen. Let's respond uh, to God's word by singing from hymn 47, stanzas 1 through 5.